Um, hello, I'm Cooper Halloran. I'll be uh, reading scripture today. Scripture is from uh, Acts 17, 24 through 28. If you want to open your Bibles. Um, the Bible starts with, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for, him, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our, your own poets have said, we are his offspring. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of the scripture. Yeah, you nailed it. You nailed it. At a boy. Should have seen, uh, I cut the passage way down. I was going to give him the stuff around it. But it's one of those classic passages that has all those like people groups people can't say. You know what I mean? But uh, so I trimmed it down. But I think he, I think he did a great job. Cooper, we got to get you on the Good regular job, rotation. Good job. Yeah? Way to go, buddy. A um, couple things real quick. One is uh, I'm going to just reiterate what Adrian said. October 15th, we don't have the River Center, right? It's not available to us. Something else is going on. And so we're going to have a virtual service that Sunday. doesn't mean you can't, like, meet up in each other's homes and have some brunch, right? Maybe even some mimosas if you're into that sort of thing. I'm just kidding. Some of you all better not. Right, but you can watch service together, and uh, it could be a really great, great time. Uh, and then I just want to remind you to, to register for Do Do Good Day. Right, that's next Saturday. We got a great group already registered. We got awesome work projects with some of our partners that you heard from a few weeks ago. Uh, it's going to be some great work. Right, and we have a good turnout, but I would like to see even more of us show up. All right, so register for that. You can do it on the app. If you are not into technology, that's me. I use a paper calendar. Amen. Hallelujah. Right. Just stop out of the connect table on your way out, and somebody will do it for you. Sound good? I'm going to pray one more time, and we're going to get into it. Let's do it. God, it just does something to me to take a second and just recognize that we are all here for different reasons. Some of us are here because somebody dragged us here, or they bribed us even. Some of us are here because of our love and commitment to somebody else. Some of us are here, we're not even sure how we got here. But we're all here. And the really beautiful thing is we all need the same thing. We need you. We need your grace. We need your presence. We need your wisdom. We need your insight. We need your direction. We need you. And so, Lord, use me in some way, shape, or form. To draw all of us closer to you. Speak to us this morning. A word that we need to hear. A word that we cannot refuse. Just do something in us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Dublin, Ireland. You heard of it? Dublin, Ireland. June of 1998. It's 15 years old. And I was sitting in St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's a building that dates back to the early 1200s. And here's a picture of what the inside looks like. You see that? I remember that day. The history of that place was like thick. The history of it. I mean, 1200, 
early 1200s. You could actually like feel it. You could feel the history of that place. Like it was really important. A lot of significant things had happened in that building. And I remember the sun that day was pouring through these elaborate stained glass windows. Like if I close my eyes, I can still feel it. And in front of me, there was a choir singing in Latin. Like songs that were so beautiful, they'd break your heart. But in a good way, you know what I'm talking about? I was 15 years old. I just remember sitting there with my eyes closed, just kind of letting it all hit me. And I felt so connected to what was happening in that space at that moment. And again, I was 15 years old. I was kind of a big deal at my school. But at 15 years old, being in Dublin, Ireland, and traveling around a bit of Europe at that age, I was starting to get the sense that I was a part of something bigger than me. That I wasn't the point of the story. I remember specifically being in that space, listening to that music, and being so aware that there was way more going on than just what I could see or touch or understand. I was beginning to get a sense that, man, whatever this is, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than me, but it involves me. You ever had a moment like that? You're just overwhelmed by it? The sort of bigger thing behind it all? You had one of those moments? Think about it. Then there was December 2018. I had just finished officiating a funeral service for a woman who was around my age that had been killed in a tragic running accident. Some of you are at that funeral. She was running really early in the morning and she was hit by a car. And she didn't make it. She left behind a husband and three kids. And I remember meeting the husband and the family in a room after the service. And I went to give him a hug, and he just collapsed into me. I was still kind of a stranger to him, but it didn't matter at that moment. I mean, he literally just kind of fell into me. And in that room, two things were really, really clear. You know, that family was in a lot of pain. But that family also had a lot of love for each other. And in that moment, I had way more questions than answers. But I was hugging this guy that I barely knew, <laughs> but I had this awareness that there was way more going on than what we can see and touch. That in the midst of that pain, we all had this awareness of what mattered most. And even more than that, I think there was awareness amongst all of us that there was going to be a lot of help on the road ahead. That it would not be easy. It wasn't fair. It didn't make sense, but they wouldn't be doing it alone. Like that was thick in the room. You ever had a moment like that? Yeah. Spring of 2020. Remember that year? Ha! Spring of 2020. Let it all come back. Now, our family had just kind of started to lean into like the little sliver of a gift that being in lockdown was because of the pandemic. This sort of a gift of like trying to make memories at home. You know what I'm talking about? It was suddenly there was a lot more time for it, right? You couldn't go anywhere. And to wear a hazmat suit to go to the grocery store, right? But it's like we had, we had to make memories at home. And we actually tried to, didn't we? We made an effort. So there was a sort of gift to that. But I remember this one night in particular, Rowan, our oldest, he wasn't at the house that evening. He was staying with some of our bubble friends. Did y'all have bubble friends, remember? It was like people that you knew were kind of going about the pandemic in the same way. So you'd sort of hang out with them even though you weren't supposed to. But they were like, they're in our bubble. Anybody else do that? We did that. And so our son was hanging out with some, you know, friends. And it was just me and Lindsay and the girls. And so we decided to make this really beautiful night out of it. 
We cooked them a big fancy dinner. We had them get dressed up in their nicest clothes, and they ate outside under the lights with some music playing. In fact, I took a video. Can I just show, can I show you this? Can you watch? A little Selma. She was into it, y'all. Into it. <laughs> she never met a camera she didn't like. You know how many times I watched that video? Man, that night's become like a core memory to me. Like just core memory. I just remember in that moment being so aware that my life, say it, my life, not your life, not somebody else's life, not some other version of my life, but my life was a gift. It was a gift. And I just remember being so aware, so convinced, like it converted me in my heart to, to really trust and believe that life is not some rat race that you're supposed to win. It isn't just some trial that we have to endure. Life is a gift that we are asked to steward. Something happened to me that night. In that moment. You ever had a moment like that? See, there, there are these moments in life where we feel so connected, so aware, so in tune, not just with what is happening, but with like the bigger meaning behind it all. Why it matters. So I would argue that in moments like these, whether we're aware of it or not, what we are encountering is none other than God, the divine. And that, my friends, is who I want to talk about today. It's a big topic, isn't it? God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. If you're just now joining us, we are at the beginning of a series through the Apostles' Creed, which is the earliest and most widely accepted profession of faith in the church. I mean, the earliest versions of this creed date back to the second century. So that's, that's less than 100 years right, from when the movement began. So that's early on, and they're circulating this profession of faith. The tagline for this series is, what is the least I can believe and still be a Christian? And I said a lot about this last week. So if you missed last week, I strongly encourage you to go check it out. You can listen on the app, website, you can find it like 16 different ways, right? But our goal in this series isn't to water down what it means to be a Christian. But it's to sort of declutter it, to get some of the extra out of the way. Because it's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy for all of this extra to get added to on our, on our faith, and this extra has a way of getting in the way. Am I right? And so the creed is really profound. It's not just profound because of what it says. It's also profound because of what it leaves unsaid. It's simple. And it's very concise. It's a summary of the convictions of a Jesus follower. And so as we walk through this creed, my hope is that it serves as a helpful reminder and a clear introduction. A clear introduction to the way of Jesus, especially for those of us who are just getting started. 
I know we got a lot of you in this room. There's been all sorts of reasons you'd never step foot in the church, but for some reason, you decided to come and check us out. I love that you're here, but you have no idea what this is about. My hope is that this series is a helpful and clean and clear, decluttered introduction to what it means to follow Jesus. At the same time, there's a whole lot of us in here. We are in. We are all in, aren't we? We are on board and we're all in. I hope this series challenges you. Because oftentimes there is a difference. We're not integrated people. There's often a difference between what we say we believe and how we actually live. And so my hope is that as we work through this creed, you'll be challenged to integrate your life with what you claim your convictions are. Does that make sense? There's a whole lot of us in this room. We are barely hanging on, aren't we? When it comes to, to God, faith, Jesus, Bible, we're barely hanging on. And we got good reasons for that. My hope is that during this series, as we get rid of some of the extra, some of the baggage, and we sort of clear it away, that you'll get a picture of, oh yeah, Jesus is still worth following. Despite all the dysfunction of the church, despite all my disappointment and people who claim to be Christian, Jesus is still worth following. That's my hope for this series. Are you with me? All right, with that being said, how about we all say the Apostles' Creed together so that we know what we're talking about? Can we say that together? Yes? Yes? yes. All right, that's what I'm talking about. Let's say it. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of the heavens and the earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Good job. Well, today we're going to unpack that first conviction. I remember the earliest versions of the creed. We, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth. Now remember that word for belief in the original language of the creed, which is Latin, that word for believe is better understood as I set my heart on. It's not language about the head, it's language about the heart. It's less about intellectual certainty, and it's more about relational trust. I trust. You're not saying I totally get my head around and understand the existence of a being so big and so powerful who can create everything just by speaking. That's not what you're saying. You're not saying you understand it. You get your head around it. You're saying you give your heart to it. You trust it. Are you with me? Now, in your own words, what I'd love for you to do right now, I'm going to make you all cringe, you introverts. Just turn to your neighbor. Put those words back up on the screen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth. I would love for you to summarize in your own words what we are affirming when we say we trust this conviction. Like, What are you saying you trust? All right? Just take a second. Think about it. Turn to your neighbor, the one you like. Don't talk to the other one. Um, and just, just share in your own words. What, what are we affirming? What are we saying we trust with this conviction? Go for it. There are other people in this room. Check that out.
Okay. I want to hear from you. Somebody back here, in your own words, what, what, are we, what are we saying we trust? Just shout it out. What's that? A big enough God. Okay, yes. Big God. Big, big God. What else? What about over here? What are some of the things we're saying we trust when we affirm this part of the, the, the creed? Anybody? Shout it out. God exists. God exists. God's in control. Yes. What else? God is a creator of everything. Creation is purposeful. Yeah. This, is, this was intended. Your life, the world, everything, it was intended. Yeah. What else? Something bigger than us. Yeah. You're getting it. You're getting it. Yeah, when we affirm this part of the creed, we're saying that we trust that all of this creation, reality itself, didn't just happen on its own. But it was intended. It wasn't an accident or a coincidence. But it was created on purpose. Not just by anybody, but by a God who is best understood as what? Father. I know that word might be a little hard for some of us because we either had a bad relationship with our own father or we've had bad experience with men. I get it. But what it's intending to say is that behind all of this, the best way to understand God is not as a judge, not as a punisher, not as an angry puppeteer in the sky, but as a loving parent. Think about that. That's the first word in the creed can say about God. And what is the word? Father, loving parent. That behind all of this is a God who's good intended towards us who actually likes us and who wants good for us. Is that what you think about when you think about God? Is that who you think about when you think about God? Because that's what the creed is pointing us towards. So that's what it's saying, right? What about what it's not saying? And I'm going to spend more time on the podcast each week with this. We do have a podcast called Let's Keep It Going. Can't talk about everything I want to talk about in here. Otherwise, you'd be here till dinner, right? And so we save some of it. We talk about it uh, on the podcast. And it usually gets posted sometime around Wednesday. But what, what, is, what is the creed not saying? What's some of the extra? What's some of the extra that gets added onto this? Well, notice. Notice the creed isn't saying that to affirm this, you have to disavow any and all scientific observations or explanations. This is some of the extra, though, isn't it? I mean, some of us don't even want to say we believe in God because what people think that means. Oh, here we go. Is the earth flat, too? Right? That's what tend, tends, people tend to think, that to affirm God, that means you have to be like anti-science. You know, especially the Big Bang. Man, I remember when I was a kid, you see people driving around, like Christians had them little fish in the back of their cars. I will not put one of those back in my cars, not because I'm embarrassed, but because I don't want people to know I'm a Christian when I'm driving because I'm bad at it. But I remember then there were like all these other people who thought that thought it would be funny to like get their own fish. And they made a fish and it had like, uh, it said Darwin on it. It had like feet and a tail and it was like eating the fish. Remember that? Yeah, this is real, isn't it? I'm not making this up. It's real. This is some of the extra. The, 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 the sort of assumption is that man to believe in God means that you just disavow science is scary and it's bad and it's the enemy. I remember one pastor that I was close to one time telling me that if you give up on a literal reading of Genesis chapter one, like if you reject a, a literal seven day creation of the world, then you also have to give up the resurrection of Jesus. And I was like, what? Now I understand that that happens. There are people who do that, but I wanted to say to him, you know why they do that? Because you make them feel like that's their only option. It's not true. You don't have to. Do, that's not true. It doesn't have to happen. 
I don't. I don't believe in a literal seven-day creation. Cat's out of the bag. But I do believe in the resurrection. I do. You know, my experience, the faith and science kind of stay in their lane, so to speak. They really complement each other quite nicely. I mean, for instance, take what this part of the creed is affirming. That the world was begun. The world was intended. It was created. It had a beginning, right? Science has actually really encouraged me in my commitment to this. We can be quite, quite confident. I'm going to nerd out just a little bit. Can you handle that? We can be quite confident, no matter what you say you believe about God or whatever, all of us, we can be quite confident that all of this, everything, everything, when I say that everything, it had a beginning. It was begun. I mean, scientists pretty much agree that the universe and everything in it began about 13.6, they argue about the point, 13.6, 7, 8, whatever, billion years ago. It's important, I guess, when you're dealing with billions, right? But 13 is some change billion years ago with a big bang. The general consensus is that everything that makes up the universe began as this super condensed dime sized ball. And for reasons unknown, this thing exploded in this massive exertion of energy and the universe was born and the universe has been expanding ever since. I mean, think about that. That's crazy. It's growing y'all. That's wild. For 13 billion years, it's been expanding. It's been growing. There was a beginning, a moment when the universe came into existence. Now understand something. This is not something that the majority of scientists wanted to believe, let alone discover. You can read about this. In the early 1900s, most of the famous scientists didn't want the universe to have a beginning. Because then the universe couldn't explain itself. Because if something has a beginning, then that means that something initiated that beginning. Right? You can't have something from nothing. If it had a beginning, then that means that something had to have existed before the universe. They had hoped that the universe was eternal. There was this theory that a lot of them had. It was called the Big Crunch. Maybe you've heard of this. But the idea was that there was this explosion, this big bang, but after billions and billions of years, it would start to slow down. The expansion would start to slow down. And then all of the mass in the universe, the gravitational pull would collapse itself back in. So it would shrink back in on itself and then boom, blow up. So the theory was that for eternity, this is what things have been doing. Boom, roop, boom, roop. How do you like that? Teach science class. And we just happened to be in one of the expansion times. That was the theory. But guess what? Scientific evidence proved that wasn't the case. Wasn't the case. Hubble. You know Hubble. Got a telescope named after him. He pointed his telescopes to the edge of the universe. You know what he found? It wasn't slowing down. It was speeding up. The things at the edge of the universe, they were actually moving faster. And not only that, but they don't believe there's enough actual mass or matter in the universe for the gravitational pull to pull itself in on itself again. I mean, all of them, the consensus is, no, it had a beginning. And what I love is they didn't want to discover this, but they did. And they recognized it as true. That's, ad that's admirable to me. They recognized that it's, there was a beginning, whether we like it or not. Everything had a beginning. But think about that for a second, y'all. I mean, re really think about it. At least try. Think about it. We had a beginning. It was started. It began. It was intended. Who was responsible for that? 
Or where did that super condensed, tiny, dime-sized ball come from? Whose idea was that? And then even think about it. This blows my mind. If the, if the universe is expanding, what's it expanding into? Were you ever thinking about that? Like, what's it? What, what's it? When I started thinking about this, like trying to think about this is like the apple pinwheel of death. Anybody else? It's just too much. It's too much for me when I stop and I think I'll be driving over the dam and I'm starting to think about, man, all of this started and just blew and we're here. I'm just like, what? It's just too much. And not in this sort of small shrinking sort of way, but what it does to me is it opens me up to the first miracle, the one that we forget all the time. We're here. I mean, just that's unreal. We're here. We get to do this. That's a miracle. Whether you believe in God or not. The fact that we're here, the fact that we're breathing, we're in this space, that is amazing. Don't take that for granted. You see, science has helped me in that. It's helped me in that. And I'm going to get into some of the more of the extra, you know, a bit later in the week on the podcast. But, but let me say this, because more than anything, my goal, my hope for this series isn't to try and prove to you that all of the claims of the creed are true. We'll do some of that because I do think that faith involves our mind, right? There's some good reasons for us to trust these things. But more than that, what I'd rather do throughout this series is have us consider what our lives would be like if we really trusted what the creed claims to be true. Like, really? Like, what are the real-life implications of trusting that all of this, particularly this part of the creed, God the Father, creator of the heavens and the earth, what would it be like if we trusted that? Like, what are the real-life implications for somebody when they set their heart on that? Can I offer a few thoughts on that? I'm going to anyway. Thanks. But to affirm this part of the creed is to trust that there is a source to our lives. This is what Paul's getting at in the passage that Cooper so eloquently read for us. He's in Athens when he says this. Athens was like the center of, you know, the religious and philosophical thought in the ancient world. And he's speaking to all these philosophers, these mystics. And he says to them, it is God who gives us life and breath and everything else. And he says, it is in God that we live and we move and we have our being. God is our source. What this means is that we were not our own idea. We're God's idea. And so the truest sense of who we are isn't something we just sort of figure out or decide on our own. I think the truest sense of who we are is something that we're given. It's known by God. And the truest sense of who we are flows out of us resting in that. But man, before we're anything else, you know what you are? You're known by God. You're loved by God. You're accepted by God right now. That's the first thing that's true about you. Do you know that? That is. I mean, we're talking about real life implications of trusting this, right? And I found, man, when, when I don't start my life there, <laughs> when I don't start my sense of self there, usually what happens is I, I start to shape my identity around a lie. Three of the biggest lies being I am what I have. I am what I do, or I am what other people say or think about me. Those tend to be the ones we substitute for, right? We're supposed to get our, our understanding of self from God. If we're not doing that, then we're probably going to start getting our understanding of self from one of these three things. 
I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what other people think about me. You know the scariest thing about these lies is they work until they don't. Am I right? They work for a while until they don't. Man, I am what I have. I can get a whole bunch of new stuff, and it is fun. I got some new sneakers this week, and I love them. I think I look 10 pounds lighter up here. But guess what's going to happen to these sneakers? They're going to be old. Then I'm going to see some new sneakers, and I want those sneakers. Am I right? I mean, I am, I, I, I am what I do. Golly, hustle culture. And, man, when you're killing it, when you're succeeding, it feels good, doesn't it? You look around, look, I'm way ahead of all of them people. This feels great. But we don't always win, do we? Nope. Then what? Hmm. I am what other people think about me. Again, man, that's great when they love you. Let me tell you something. For me and a pastor, people are fickle. Man, they will love you until they don't. You say something they don't like, boom, they're done. And so what I found, man, it's only a matter of time. If this is where our sense of self comes from, it's only a matter of time until our sense of self is really driven by lack. You know, my, I don't have enough. I need more, right? I haven't accomplished everything I want to accomplish, so I'm a failure, right? Or I am the, I am the negative things that people think about me. That's ultimately where, where this ends up. Do you not see the beauty of being a kind of person who roots their sense of self, not in all of those things first, but I am who God says I am. I am known by God, I'm loved by God, I'm accepted by God, and I have found that when I start my sense of self there, then I'm able to interact with all of the people and places and things and roles in my life in a much healthier way. Yes, I am a parent, but I'm a child of God first. My identity is not too wrapped up in my relationship with my kids. They're going to mess up. You hear me? They're going to mess up. And I want to be the kind of person that when they do, I'm not getting too much of my sense of self from that so I can actually help them figure it out. Are you, are you following me here? Do you not get the, the beauty of being a person who trusts this to be true? I believe in God the Father, creator of the heavens and the earth. I also think there's this beautiful sort of humility that flows out of this conviction. You see, to confess belief in God is to also confess that you are not God. You're not the center of the universe. And it isn't all about you. Yes, you are significant. Pat yourself on the shoulder. I'm significant. Go ahead. You're significant. But God's intention for the world is bigger than you. And it's bigger than just your own comfort and happiness. See, people mistake that. Especially in our part of the world. We think that what we really want is to be comfortable and happy. And we can do it. That's not what you really want. You know what you really want? You want your life to matter. You want purpose. That's what you want more than that. But we're just too high. We're too busy being high on comfort. Let's keep taking our hits. So we come and need to buy some stuff. We need to go somewhere. That's not what you want. You want your life to be caught up in something bigger than you. To be making a contribution to the world. That flows out of this. Am I right? I mean, to confess a belief is to say you're not God. To say there is a God is to say you're not God. And our sense of God, how am I doing on time? Okay, I'm going to wrap this up, I promise. But you see, our sense of God is often a projection of ourselves. More often, it's like people and their dogs. You ever notice how people and their dogs look alike? You know? They just do. Or they eventually look alike. They even dress alike eventually. That's weird. This is weird, okay? 
This often happens with, with our understanding of God, is God just becomes his biggest projection of us, right? So God hates everybody that we hate. God likes everybody that we like. God's for all the people that we're for. Got an election next year. <laughs> Got to see that, aren't you? But man, there's this one uh, philosopher that I love and theologian, uh, Caputo, John Caputo. That's an unfortunate last name. But he's a philosopher and theologian, and he wants to say something like this. He said, the most genuine understandings of God aren't projections. They're projectiles. Think about that. The truest sense of God, man, when you encounter this God, you don't walk away patting yourself on the back about how you got it all figured out. You walk away going, what just happened to me? You often find the way you think about things challenged, disrupted. I mean, if, if, here's what this means. If your relationship with God, if your connection to God has not led you to change your mind, you're probably not connecting with a real God, but a God that you've created out of your own imagination. So just think about, think about all of this flows out of this one part of the conviction. We're just getting started, y'all. I believe in God, the Father, creator of the heavens and the earth. Do you see the implications of being a person who trusts this? It's beautiful. It means we've got help. Think about that. It means we've got help. That in the face of difficult things and an uncertain future, we can trust and know we're not going to walk it out alone. That's what I believe about our faith. You know, Christianity is first and foremost a confession, not an explanation. I mean, take, take the issue of suffering, for example. It's a reality, isn't it? Our faith offers some sort of explanation around why bad things happen in the world. I think it offers a better explanation than most, but it doesn't explain it all. Because it's not first and foremost an explanation. It's a confession that even when bad things happen, we don't have to walk through them alone. What we'll find is presence to help us walk through it. And eventually this presence will give us the creativity we need to redeem it, to do something with it that brings some good into the world. That's what flows out of this conviction. So you tell me, is this worth trusting? I mean, when you consider a life and the fruit that comes from believing this sort of thing, is it beautiful or not? Is it good or not? I think it is. I think it's worth trusting. Not because I can get my mind around it, but because I don't have a problem giving my heart to it. It's just too good. Are you with me? But here's how I want to wrap it up. Right here. I mean it this time. You know, the goal really shouldn't be just to know this, right? The goal is for this to become real in our lives. Isn't that the goal? Be the kind of people who actually live this conviction out not just sort of put it on the bedside table or, you know, hang it up or whatever, like a piece of artwork, but we really want to use it. We want to lean on it. So how do we become the kind of people who actually trust this understanding of God in a real life sort of way? We all, simple answer is this, prayer. And prayer. Prayer is the way in which we grow in our connection and our reliance and our trust on this God that we say we believe in. See, prayer to our spiritual life is about as essential as breathing is to our physical life. Some of you are like, I just don't feel like God's real. When's the last time you prayed? I really prayed. Not just when you were in trouble. We do that a lot, right? Pass the cop going 10 miles over the speed limit. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Not just before a meal, but like when's the last time you actually you, you spent time in prayer? Prayer is how we grow in our trust and reliance upon this God. And so I want to finish by sharing something that's come to mean a lot to me. It's a small little paradigm shift in regards to prayer that has had a huge impact on my life because prayer is hard. Amen? Prayer is hard. It's tough. 
But I would argue that an overwhelming majority of us in this room, we struggle with prayer because of how we think about it, because of what we think prayer is. And so there's been this little bitty nudge, this slight paradigm shift that's been revolutionary for me, and it comes out of Jesus' teaching on prayer. Matthew chapter 6. It's a part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's our favorite part of the Bible around here. But Jesus says this. He's teaching about prayer in verse 7. He says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Here's the part. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You see, when Jesus talks about the pagans, he's talking about their non-Jewish brothers and sisters who would go into their temples and offer these long, rambling prayers in order to get their God's attention. They had to say the prayer just right. You had to repeat the, God, the goddess's name just a certain number of times. If you left one out, they probably wouldn't listen to you. So they were very elaborate. They were long, and they were, you know, they were uh, kind of out there, right? But Jesus says this, you don't have to do that because God doesn't work that way. You don't have to get God's attention. You don't have to conjure up God's presence. You don't have to earn God's favor. You already have that. You see, prayer for Jesus, then, is about turning into what is already true. It's about tuning into what is already happening. And he does this a lot in his teachings. A little bit later, when he tells us to not worry, he's talking about anxiety. He points our attention to something that's already true, something that's already happening. He points our attention to the birds in the air, the flowers of the field. He's like, look at all that. Do you see it? Do you see the care that God is dumping on the world around you? You are already and always in the care of your heavenly father. And he also says in chapter 6, when he talks about asking God for what what we need, he says you're not making God aware of something that God doesn't already know about. And so it's this alreadiness of prayer that has been so helpful for me. The alreadiness of prayer. You see, I think one of the biggest reasons we struggle with prayer, if not the biggest reason, is that we are unaware of how often we are already doing it or how close we are to doing it. Frederick Buechner said it like this, my favorite author of all time. He says, we all pray whether we think of it as praying or not. The odd silence we fall into when something very beautiful is happening or something very good or very bad The ah that sometimes floats up out of us is out of a 4th of July crowd when the skyrocket bursts over the water. The stammer of pain at somebody else's pain. The stammer of joy at somebody else's joy. Whatever words or sounds we use for sighing over our own lives. These are all prayers in their way. These are all spoken not just to ourselves, but to something even more familiar than ourselves. And even more strange in the world. This isn't just woo-woo, y'all. I'm telling you, it is so practical. Because a lot of us, we struggle with prayer, or we think we do, because, it, you know, it's a strange foreign thing. It's like, I got to go get on my knees. I got to do it just right. I got to say the right words to God, be respectful enough, eloquent enough, theologically sound enough in order to merit God, giving up some time to listen to us. No healthy person is going to be good at that. Did you hear me? Nobody. And yes, of course, we all have room to grow when it comes to prayer. But what if we didn't start with how we're getting it wrong? What if we started by recognizing all of the ways we were already doing it and simply leaned into those moments more? It's like when you're feeling something big. 
You know what I mean. You're feeling something big. Lean into that moment. Turn the corner on it. Anne Lamont says there's only three types of prayer. Help, thanks, and wow. Isn't that good? Every prayer, help, thanks, and wow. And so what I found, this has been radical for me. Instead of like, okay, I got to go spend three hours in my prayer closet, right? No, it's when I'm feeling something big that's somehow connected to one of those three things, I recognize it and I turn the corner on it. I connect it back to God. Like that word help, man, when you feel that pit in your stomach about something or somebody who's going through a hard time. I saw a picture on our wall hanging up in our house of one of our, of our kids. And I saw one of them who I know is having a hard time with something. And that, that lump popped up in my throat and my stomach. So you know what I did? I turned a corner on it and I prayed. I said, help. God, be with her today. Help her today. Right? Or I remember sitting in the coffee shop working this past week and I heard this group of friends they were talking and they were laughing and this one girl had this that kind of laugh that's just contagious you know what I'm talking about it's like you just hear it and it just takes you over and it like makes you bubble up and I was just like joy coming out of nowhere and I was like turned a corner on that moment and I say wow wow God well done we live in a world where we laugh that's just cool am I right or when you feel that sense of gratitude bubble up for whatever reason you're just grateful Recognize what's happening. You're about to pray, whether you're aware of it or not. Turn a corner on it. Offer it as a prayer. Thank you. Thank you. What if we started there? Yes, there are other ways to pray that we'll have to lean into more. But what if we started there? That's my challenge for you this week. We all claim to trust that behind all this is a God who's best understood as Father. Let's grow in our connection and our trust of that. So three times a day this week. Here's your challenge. Three times a day, offer up a help, thanks, or wow. Just whatever you're doing. Pay attention to it. Because it'll probably come up on you. You won't have to conjure it. It'll be happening to you. Just recognize it. Turn the corner on it and make it a prayer. Thank you, God. Wow, God. Help, God. Let's start there this week. How's that sound? Yeah? All right. That's all I got. <laughs> How about I pray for you and me, and then you can go home. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the people who are here, people who are watching, who are listening. Uh, it is no trivial thing to say that we believe in you, creator of the heavens and the earth. Help us be people who don't just say those words, but we trust them with our hearts. We want to be people who live from the source of our lives. People who live with purpose and direction and intention. People who know we have help when we feel in over our heads. And so just give us eyes to see and recognize those moments where we can tell you help, thanks, and wow this week. And draw us closer to yourself. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming, church. We'll pick it up where we left off next week.